We have all had painful events in our lives that can lead to depression, anxiety, addiction, or broken relationships. But here's a secret. It is not about what happened to us that causes suffering. It's the stories we believe about ourselves. Join us as we shine light on how to rewrite our stories, avoid the shadows of shame, and travel along the pathway to joy, love, and connection. It's the Finding Peace Podcast with your host, Amazon best-selling author, Troy L. Love. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Finding Peace Podcast. Today, I have the privilege of interviewing Erica. That is the name by which she would like to go by for her own privacy today. Erica has some massive betrayal wounds, and she has been dealing with the repercussions of that betrayal for years. Part of the way that she has coped with all of that is by doing everything she possibly can to take care of everybody. And the only person that ends up being left in the dust is herself. Join Erica and me as she steps into the healing seat and explores what's holding her back from being able to even enjoy five minutes of peace on a porch. Hello, Erica. How are you doing today? I'm very well. It's really hot here. Not Arizona hot, but hot. It's really humid. The kind where you feel like you're walking through pea soup, you know? Yeah. It's grim. And I don't, I don't like, like it. Me neither. Ugh. But you grew up, and you said, in Pittsburgh, right? Well, I went to school in Pittsburgh, so I am familiar with the humidity on the East Coast. I visited friends in Washington, D.C. and in Virginia, and I've been in South Carolina before. So I do know what the humidity feels like, and I got to say, <laughs> I'm really glad I live in Arizona. I grew up in Summit, New Jersey, and I live in Summit, New Jersey. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I live about three blocks from where I grew up. Oh, wow. Yeah, and my parents were there, actually, until the week before my husband got arrested. They had just sold the house. All right. Well, you ready to dive in, Erica? What is the issue that you would like to have a little bit more peace, joy, or light in your life about today? I would like to have a better handle on what comfort looks like for me and only me, and mm. how to override all of the voices that say you you don't deserve it, you're just complaining, I don't know where in the heck you got the idea that you're supposed to have that because you're not, and just keep swimming. Yep. Whatever verb you can come up with that's an action sort of verb. And I certainly had terrible betrayal from my husband. I do a lot of these groups and it's I don't want to brag, but I'm a little bit of an outlier in the trauma department. It turns out that I was very well prepared for that. Mm, because of the other things that had happened to you in your life? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I wasn't prepared ever to go first. One of my mother's big uh, things, and I've never heard anybody else's mom say it, but my mom said it all the time, which was, don't take your half out of the middle. Which sort of meant, be fair in everything you do, and don't put yourself forward, and don't 
think of it, you know, like brownies, you know, Mm -hmm. well, nobody likes those pieces. So you have to take some of those and some of the good ones and, you know, don't do things that are by measurement fair, which you know, aren't fair. Mm. Be more fair than you can be. Always see how to give away part of what you have in order to be equitable and fair and thought well of. So Erica, you don't have to go into a lot of detail if you don't want to. What would you say are your primary attachment wounds really from your whole life? And remember, the attachment wounds are loss, neglect, rejection, abandonment, betrayal, or abuse. Betrayal, 80. And then it turns out in this journey I've had since the the main betrayal in my life, I found out that I was sexually abused as a very young child. Mm. by an older brother so it sounds like betrayal has been around for a while and it's been inflicted on you from various people especially people who are really close to you in your life yes so as that betrayal wound was being created and then as it was reopened with your husband what did you come to believe about yourself as a result, did I got exactly what I deserved that I didn't deserve to ask for, want more, or think about more, and that I should just keep swimming? Mm. So you just don't deserve good things? No. Wait your turn to get your good things. You don't deserve them now. Mm. So you have to wait for good things to happen to you. And do you believe that you are worthy of good things happening to you or not? That's a hard question because the way I was always taught and the way I act now is that the work should be the outcome, that you should enjoy the work for its own sake. And you should find your satisfaction from that work and not what, how that work is scored or judged or praised by other people. You should just have satisfaction from doing the work. So what I'm hearing from you is that you were taught that you needed to define joy by the work that you do in your life. Like the work itself is the joy. You don't need to get recognition from other people. But what I'm kind of pondering upon is that recognition and joy are very different than believing that I'm worthy of good things happening to me. Right. But the way to be worthy is to work terribly hard. Uh. To be worthy is to put your head down. My parents weren't yellers at all. I can actually only remember my dad yelling twice in my life and, mm. and once was to an outside party. But what they did say, they never swore, they never did anything like that, but... What they did say, or, or what my dad would say, would be execute, execute, or with a will, do it as hard as you can, mm. or do it on your own time. So it was sort of uh, the work was the thing, you know? Mm. So inherently with that then, if I'm hearing that correctly, I, I'm trying to deconstruct the underlying message, which if I'm getting it right, is you're worthy only because of the work you do. 
And so if you do really good work, that makes you more worthy, which if I look at it from that perspective or like the opposite side of that is if, if you're not doing good works, then you're fundamentally unworthy. So you have to have a product to produce your work by whatever. And then that demonstrates your value. Yes. Okay. Yes. And, and um, I mentioned before that my dad was quite brilliant, very, very, very brilliant. And so sort of the expectation was, well, you're all very, very bright. And so there's absolutely no reason why you shouldn't get very, very good grades. And if you don't, that's a failing on your part. So it was sort of the sort of message was the su- successes are ours and the failures are your own. Mm. Which isn't a terrible thing. They did have these children who were, I'm not, I'm not bragging when I tell you, you know, I'm very smart, mm-hmm. but that was, that was taught to me as a responsibility rather than as a gift. So you've learned really well how to produce things, work, widgets, in order to use those gifts that you have in order to create something of value. Yes. What I'm hearing you say is that you struggle with giving yourself permission to enjoy the things that you want. So according to the shadows, you're not worthy of good things happening to you, especially if somebody else isn't having that same blessing or that same good thing happening to them, then you definitely cannot celebrate having good things happen to you. You can't have good things if the person next to you isn't having good things. Right. And another message was don't sort of don't stand out. Don't be a braggart. Don't, Mm. you know, don't put your head up above other people's heads. Got it. Don't stand out. Don't be seen. Just let the work speak for itself. Right. Let that be your calling card rather than Mm -hmm. how you look or what you say or whatever. All right. So you are familiar with the shadows of shame. Which shadow do you think is the primary vocal voice to this, this phenomenon? I would say probably the judge. Mm -hmm. And to sum it, I I would say 80% judge, 20% martyr. Mm Mm-hmm. So the more that we're talking, the more that I'm hearing the martyr being very present, which is that voice that says, it's your responsibility to take care of everybody else. It's your responsibility to sacrifice yourself for the greater good. Don't take out of the middle because that will affect everybody else. And the way that you prove your worthiness is doing all these amazing things for everybody. Right. But... The backdrop of all that is the voice telling me at all times, you're not doing well enough. You've got to keep going. You're, you're doing a mm. bad job at this. Why, you know, in, the, in terms of the betrayal with my husband, why did you lose your temper? You didn't even lose your temper. What are you doing? Mm. Uh, you're not a good enough mother. Why can't you handle this? Things like that. Mm, got it. So what would you say your judge looks like? It's a line drawing of a late middle-aged woman that I can only see in profile. Mm. And 
She has a long aquiline nose and a um, very stern look on her face. So this line drawing, this two-dimensional figure, has had a tremendous amount of influence in your life. Mm-hmm. And what are three expressions that she says to you? You're stupid and you're selfish. Mm. How long has the judge been hanging around with you? Always. For as long as you can remember. And what does the martyr look like? An older, hunched-over woman who is carrying a very heavy weight, and it is affecting her back. Hmm. So I've seen pictures like in National Geographic that have these old ladies carrying this enormous wood pile or clothes or a bag of something on their back, and she's just walking down the village uh, carrying all this stuff. And not only is she doing that day, but she did it the day before and she's going to do it the next day. Mm. And three things that she says to you. If you couldn't handle it, I wouldn't give it to you. Obviously you're not overtaxed because you've done everything else I've asked you to do. So I'm going to throw something else on the, in the basket or on your back and keep your head down. Just keep going. Hmm. That reminds me of Dory from Finding Nebo. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming. Mm -hmm. So she says that to you, that there's more room to put more stuff on your back. You, You have more room to carry more things. What is it that leads her to believe is the reason why you have to carry all of this? Because you can. Because you can. So can you name something that you really want to enjoy, but these two shadows of shame do not let you experience that. They harass you, they never shut up, and they don't let you experience joy. Well, in a global sort of sense, I would love to have just some time with uh, many fewer burdens just for a day or or something. That's more in a global sense. Um, If, in a more specific sense, if I'm sitting on a porch, in this beautiful porch, I can't relax for very long without thinking, you gotta do it, you gotta go, get it done. There's plenty of stuff to do. You don't need to be sitting here, you're perfectly fine. Mm. So what would you say is the longest that you're able to just sit and enjoy the moment before you have to get up and do something. 10 minutes, maybe. Okay. Okay. So we're going to go to the facts now. We've kind of, we've been talking about the shadows of shame, but we're going to backtrack a little bit, which is totally fine. Because if you've ever done the finding peace worksheet, we backtrack and hopscotch around. So that's okay. So if I were going to say what the fact is, it would be that you're sitting on a beautiful porch, I, I've seen the pictures, you've sent me pictures, and they are beautiful. There's beautiful scenery, and you're sitting there, just sitting on the porch with beautiful scenery. Yes, I know beautiful is a little bit of a story, but you're sitting on the porch. That's the fact. And then we have these two shadows standing next to you, or behind you, or however, and they're telling you that you shouldn't 
enjoy this moment as much as you are. They're telling you you're not worthy of enjoying this moment. There's a million things to do. People are depending on you. You need to get up and you need to get going. And the longer you sit there, the louder they get. Mm-hmm. Until they're always there. But when they get to sort of a fever pitch, then I have to go. Mm-hmm. So what would you like to be able to experience on that porch instead? Calm and the feeling of time slowing down and being a mm. little bit more in my control than it is. Mm. So what I'm hearing is that they're with you all the time. They never shut up. No, and, and if there is a time where something goes really well, they come back three times as hard the next morning. Mm, All right. So I want you to look at them both now. And I want you to say, hey, I see you. What are you trying to prevent me from experiencing by telling me the things that you're telling me? Failure. Okay. That is really an important aspect of your childhood. From what you've told me, you were not allowed to fail. Yeah. So what would happen if you did fail? Well, if you contrast it to modern times, uh, I certainly wasn't protected from failure. Um, I remember when I was in high school, um, I was in... Um, honors calculus and I was having a hard time with it and um, I can remember my parents were just sort of puzzled you know sort of why can't you do this Um, and remember they'd been through it six times before so um, they knew wherever they spoke and um, the feeling was uh, don't fall out of the pack. So um, you got to do better so you can get back into the pack. You have to get back into the pack, which the other side of that or the other side of that coin is that that means you're not part of the pack right now. Right. You're not measuring up. That sounds like rejection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but in a straightforward sort of way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You didn't meet the criteria to be a part of the pack. You needed to try harder. Don't waste any time. Right, and don't waste our time. Clearly, you just need to be working harder on this. So I'm assuming you're not in calculus anymore. No, I like calculus. No. So you're going to take a snapshot of all the to-dos that you have to do on your to-do list right now. How many are there? All of them. You know, a thousand, something like that. A thousand. That's a lot. Yeah. Well, say 300. 300. Okay. How many of those do you have to do personally? Um, well, all 300 in some fashion. So some some of them are directing someone else to do it something, and some of them are doing something for 
completely on my own. So you're sitting there on the porch, you're enjoying the scenery and the beauty for an hour. That's way too much time wasted, according to the shadows. Yes. How much do you believe that your break is worth? You know, you, you take your break when it's, the work is done. Okay. Are you familiar with Stephen R. Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People? I've read it before, but not in, say, 15 years. That's okay. His last habit is called Sharpen the Saw. Do you remember the story that goes along with it? I don't. Okay, so he gives the this story, he tells a story about two lumberjacks who go to work every day, and they decided to make it a little bit more fun. So they said to each other, hey, let's have a contest and see how many logs we can chop down by the end of the day. And the other guy says, oh, great. So the first lumberjack, he just starts sawing and he saws and he goes and, and he saws and he saws and he saws and he doesn't stop. He doesn't take a break. He doesn't get lunch. He just keeps sawing the trees down one after the other. He just keeps going because because of the bet, there's a lot of money on the line. And the other guy, well, he stops about every fifth or sixth tree. He sharpens his saw. He takes a lunch break. He takes a water break. And the other guy sees that and says, oh, my gosh, that guy's crazy. I'm going to win. I'm going to win. He keeps stopping. He keeps lollygagging around. He just keeps doing stuff to his saw. But by the end of the day, who do you think cut down the most trees? Well, obviously the guy who sharpened the saw. I learned that. I just bought a chainsaw, actually. Why? Because the the saw has to be sharp. So the more dull the saw is, the harder the work becomes. So he shares that story as a way of teaching that it's important for us to take time to sharpen the saw. And for you, sharpening the saw might mean sitting on the porch and enjoying a glass of lemonade and listening to the birds and relaxing for an hour before you have to get up and do more work. But what I'm hearing is the shadows won't let you enjoy that time. So I have a question for you. How do you get them to shut up so that you can enjoy your time on the porch? And what I'm also hearing is that what they're telling you is that you, you're not even worthy to have this time. There's just so much work to do, and you are not worthy to have an hour to relax and enjoy your life. You, you're not worthy of that. No. And if you take it, you're being selfish and lazy. Mm. So I believe you have children. I do. Would you say what the shadows of shame are telling you to your children? No, I was very conscious with them. Uh, a couple things were really important to me. Um, one was that they knew that they were wanted and loved and they had value at whatever age they were at the time. Um, and the second was that I always 
always wanted to be their, their place to fall back. I always wanted to, them to know that I was absolutely steady and there was nothing to worry about. And I was right there whenever they needed me. So it's really hard to do that. It's really hard to do that for yourself, right? So when you look at your kids, what do you fundamentally believe about them? It couldn't have been more important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, a couple things. Number one, I always tell them that I'm so, I can't believe my great luck that out of all the kids in the whole world, I got those two. Um, they're very different. Um, my daughter, as, as we put it, has never had a thought she didn't express. And um, my son is 29 and we're still waiting. Um, they're, they're, they're very, very different. But I tried to make them see and make me see that it's great that they're different. Love it. Awesome. Bring it on. Um, and I didn't ever, I didn't want to change their essential um, their essential soul. So my daughter, the one who, you know, expresses everything, well, she wanted to be an actress. I thought, great, you're perfect. Um, my, my son, <laughs> my son, to tell you the truth, I worry about less because from the moment he arrived, he knows what he thinks and he doesn't question it. And I sort of think, and I tell him, that's the greatest gift you could have is to know what you think. So I'm pretty lucky. They're pretty amazing kids. Do you think that they have an amazing mom? I think that I was very, very intentional about trying to do the things that would make me as amazing as I could be. Mm. Again, that sense of I have to do something. I just can't be, which is interesting because your children don't have to do anything for you to believe that they're amazing and worthy of love and belonging and all of that. They don't have to do anything for you. No. But when it comes to us, we buy into the shadows of shame and we've got to do it. We've got to do it all. We got to do it all right. So I want you to imagine that the judge and the martyr are across the lake or the body of water from your house. They're way, way over there on the other side of the bank. And you're sitting on the porch. You're sitting in your chair. And I want you to say to yourself, I'm giving myself permission to sit on the porch for the next hour. I want you to just imagine saying that and notice what the shadows say as they're over there across the lake. Well, it would be very nice not to hear them. Yeah, well, we can move them even further away if we need to. No, no, it's far enough. If I'm thinking of the lake in question, it's okay. far enough. Um, my thought is that I would start to... Uh, provide it myself if they weren't there because it makes me nervous not to have um, 
the pressure voice. Right. You've become accustomed to the pressure of having to be a human doing instead of a human being. Right. Okay. Yeah. And part of it is the circumstance I found myself in. My husband hasn't worked in over 20 years and, you know, somebody had to do it. So I understand. And honestly, the list of 300 items are still going to be there an hour later. So that doesn't make the, the list go away either. However, it does give you permission to sharpen the saw, regroup, and maybe even meditate a little bit in order to get more grounded. Mm. But those dang shadows tell you that you can't even do that. No, you didn't start out great, and it's not going great now, and you better keep going. Right. So I want you to just, I want you to say, so... I am going to tell you what to say, which I don't normally do. But this time, I'm going to tell you what to say. And then I want you to say it. And then I want you to notice what happens in your body when you say it. And I, I don't have any expectations here. I, I just want us to be curious and just notice what happens in your body when you say it. And notice what the shadows are doing on the other side of the lake. And notice how much influence they do or do not have, right? So it's just you, your body, and the words that you're going to say as you're sitting on the porch. So the words are, I am giving myself permission to enjoy the next hour on the porch. I'm giving myself permission to sit here for an hour with nothing going on. And just notice what your body does. My body tenses up. Mm. So your body is experiencing a fight-or-flight response right there. Breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth, and I want you to ask yourself, what am I afraid of? What am I afraid of that I can't give myself an hour of compassionate rest? Well, I'm afraid of two things. Number one that the lack of work will take away the whole skeletal framework of my body. Um, and secondly, I think I wasn't hurt working hard enough before, and so now I have to work harder. And anytime I'm not working harder, I'm falling farther behind. Mm. So let's tackle the second fear first. The fear is that if I waste an hour here, according to the shadows, if I waste an hour here, there will be more work to do when I'm done. Mm -hmm. Is that actually true? Yes. In my case, yes. Yeah? <laughs> um, okay. It is actually true. So how much time can you give yourself to enjoy sitting on the porch that won't make things take longer? 25 minutes. Okay. So say this. I'm giving myself 25 minutes minutes to enjoy being here experiencing the beauty of the porch i'm going to give myself 25 minutes to sit here on the porch and watch and listen and think and be quiet and calm what happens to you when you say that well 
the same tenseness, but now within um, a part of me, a very small part of me that experiences some hope and some warmth from saying that. Mm. Can you breathe into that very small part of you that's feeling the warmth and the hope? Just breathe into that and imagine that your daughter or your son came to you and said, Mom, do you think it would be okay if I just took 25 minutes and sat on the porch and rested a minute? I know we have a lot to do, but do you think it would be okay if I just enjoyed being here for this moment? I'd be so happy to be sitting there with them. So what would it be like for you to say to yourself, Self, would it be okay if I just sat here for 25 minutes and enjoyed the lake and the clouds and the beauty around me? Would it be okay if I just had 25 minutes to relax? Would it be okay if I did that? And what does your self say? Well, the first thing it says is, well, if you have to. I have to. I want you to say that. I have to. I have to. I have to. Or what's going to happen if I don't? I'm going to implode. Those are the exact same words that I was thinking of. And I thought of uh, the submarine that uh, that imploded a couple of weeks ago. All of that pressure. I'm just going to implode. So I have to sit on the porch for 25 minutes and breathe. Your body's like... I have to sit here just for 25 minutes. And then I promise I'll put the yoke back on. Mm. And you'll be in a better place to put it on because there is still work to do. So now I want you to try this one on. I'm worthy of taking 25 minutes for myself here on the porch. I'm worthy of taking this time. And I need this time. And I've earned it. What do you feel when you say that? I wish I believed it more. Mm-hmm. On a scale of one to seven, how true does it feel? Four. That's really good. What could we do to make it a five? Well, in my specific case, I would say uh, share the burden in some way. Hmm. Delegate. See that I'm struggling and take something out of the basket. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not going to ask. I just want you to see. I'm not going to ask because... I don't want to make a spectacle of myself. I don't want to fail. What shadow is that? Don't ask for help. When you say it like that, it sounds more martyry, but I would describe it as judgy. Mm -hmm. It's either the martyr or the politician. Don't ask for help because people will think that you don't have it all together. So I'm worthy of asking for help. How does it feel when you say that out loud? I'm worthy of asking for help. What happens? Immediately a voice comes in and says, who said you were worthy? Oh, who said you were worthy? Well, answer the question. Who said that you were worthy? I did. Say it again. I did. Yeah. What voice comes? Who says you're worthy? 
I did. What happened? It's almost a physical crushing pain in my chest. That's imploding. Who's pushing on that? Um, the people who directly need things from me. Um, my family. My community. Mm, you have a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. I do. The thought of asking for help, it feels like more pressure versus doing it all by yourself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Much more pressure. I get it. Totally get it. It's easier. So part of what I'm hearing is that you're struggling with giving yourself permission to take time to rejuvenate. And you've also identified that if you don't, you're going to implode. Yes. Yeah. And yet you can't give yourself permission or your shadows won't give you permission to take time to rejuvenate. Mm-hmm. It's a, I, it's, it's not that I'm unaware of it. I'm aware of it. Mm. Um, but it's hard to, it's hard to manage and it's very hard to manage over time. So what if you gave yourself little snippets of time to rejuvenate? Like you did earlier when I suggested an hour and you said, Ooh, that's way too much. So then you said, Oh, I could do 25 minutes. I, I have 25 minutes. If 25 minutes is too much, then I'm going to give myself five minutes to rejuvenate. I'm worthy of that. I'm willing to try, but I have just such a strong sense that the minute I open up the five minutes, something else will take it. So you're going to have to fight for that time fiercely if you want to try that. Yes, absolutely. And in a selfish sort of way. In a very protective sort of way, I want you to say, if I don't do this, I know that I'm going to implode and then I'm not going to be of any use for anybody. So this is non-negotiable. This five minutes is non-negotiable or this 10 minutes is non-negotiable or this 25 minutes is non-negotiable. Nothing is going to interrupt it. It's life and limb here. So if you're going to just sum up that in a one-sentence truth, today my truth is... I need this time. I recognize that it's going to be unbelievably uncomfortable to get it. But if I don't get it, I risk not being able to do anything at all tomorrow and the days that follow. Beautiful. I need this time and I'm going to take it. It's going to feel uncomfortable because those shadows have really been following you around around for a long time. The beauty is that when it's uncomfortable, it's also a sign that your brain is creating new neurological connections and that you're learning something new. It's really hard at the beginning and then eventually it becomes familiar. So... We don't have to do huge chunks. We can do what they call the Kaizen method and say, I'm going to give myself five minutes of time to enjoy myself today. Five minutes to relax. I can give myself five minutes. So I would love to hear how that goes. Okay. Well, I'll try. 
I know, because you do everything. Because I'm obedient. Wow, beautiful job today. Thank you. Thank you. Erica, you are welcome. I'm grateful that you are willing to make time for us today. You're welcome. And I hope that you have a beautiful day. You've been listening to the Finding Peace podcast. If you love the show or want to ask a question, let us know by going to findingpeaceconsulting.com. There, you can also learn about the Finding Peace five-day challenge. Remember to subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss the next episode. And if you are listening on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating. It really does help other people find this podcast more easily. Thank you for spending part of your journey with us. And a special thanks to Johnny Porter for producing the show and A.G. Flux for the new background music. Copyright Finding Peace Consulting.